0: Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome to the letter F, and as you've probably noticed by the title of this episode, there are two words, forensics and forgiveness. Those two words turn out to be related, and and you'll see that as this episode, these two episodes, uh, progress. The word forensics has to do with the criminal courts, guilt, innocence, and so forth. A lot of us are familiar with that from TV, the forensics files, um, crime shows on TV where there's a medical examiner who examines a body for cause of death to determine if a crime has been committed, to see if it's a homicide. There is forensic anthropology. A forensic anthropologist looks at a skeleton and tries to determine cause of death from the evidence just in the skeleton. Is there a hole in the skull? Well, they That's a homicide. They Died by a blunt force trauma to the head or whatever. There's even forensic accounting. In this case, an accountant, someone skilled in both accounting and with knowledge of the law, looks at, let's say, a company's books to see if they were breaking the law, if they were cooking their books, and if some crime has been committed. So the word forensics takes us into the arena of the court and the law. And legal and illegal and guilt and penalty and payment and so forth, and that's where we encounter the doctrines related to salvation. There are several words in the New Testament that refer to our salvation in and and picture it from one angle or one perspective or another. For example, justification. Hmm. We haven't got to the letter J yet. Maybe we're going to have to talk about justi- justification. Propitiation is another one. Redemption. These are all words that describe our salvation from some perspective, uh, and and they're complementary, and if you put them all together, you really do get a wonderful and complete picture of uh, how God has worked about to to bring us into relationship with him. One of the things that's important to realize is that this is what uh, theologians call a transactional view of uh, salvation. Let me explain what I mean by transactional in this context. It means that something happened between two parties, and, and it is this transactional aspect between two parties, in this case, God and me, or you, and forensics, this guilt and penalty business, this, this relationship to the law that helps us understand why the word forensic applies. Because the Bible says our problem is sin. And because of our sin, we carry guilt. We are guilty before God. We have broken his laws. We have violated his holiness. We have, uh, Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Um, We have sin that must be paid for. There has to be an accountability. There has to be the penalty for sin, which is death. We've already talked about death, right? Physical death. But here, more importantly, spiritual death, separation from God. That sin that brought that guilt has to be paid for. And the penalty is death. Who is going to make that payment? And the glory of salvation is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, he who had no sin became sin for us, the Bible says, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. And so this transaction took place whereby we had the guilt, Christ paid the penalty, and that, makes a, that opens for us a way to reconciliation with God because the sin problem has been removed. Do you get, do you understand then why this is both uh, forensics, it has to do with guilt in the sight of the law, and transaction? It's worth noting here that there is a movement within contemporary evangelicalism to downplay transactional analysis. I have a friend who I think would describe himself in that camp. That is to say, he's uncomfortable with this forensics slash transactional view of salvation. He says, rather than talk about guilt and payment, which is a negative negative way to to approach salvation, he used the analogy in a conversation with me about a cruise ship uh, parked at the docks. And on this cruise ship, there is wonderful food. There are glorious staterooms, there are views, There are. there's everything you could possibly want. And we go throughout the city and ought to be inviting people onto this wonderful cruise ship. Uh, we ought to be presenting th- to them what Christ called the abundant life. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we ought not to be talking so much about guilt and payment and all of that, but instead holding out to them the glories of of the abundant life that Christ gives to those who are rightly related to him. The problem is, you don't get on that cruise ship for free. Someone, we are barred from that cruise ship and someone had to pay the price to get us there and that was Jesus Christ who took away our sins by paying for them on the cross and that's what allows us. Now, to be sure, there is something to be said for when we present the gospel for talking about the abundant life. Uh, any, ask anybody who is a child of God and they'll tell you, boy, is that an improvement on the situation. However, that this transaction where Christ paid the penalty for our sins had to take place in order for us to climb that gangplank and get on that cruise ship. Okay, this then, this concept of a transactional salvation and uh, forensics, that there is guilt, and that the penalty has to be paid, this takes us to the word forgiveness. The Bible says, and we're going to look at some verses in a little bit, the Bible says that God forgave us all our sins. I grew up in Seattle. I grew up in a fascinating community on the northwest corner of Seattle called Ballard. Ballard was settled by Scandinavian immigrants. I think when I grew up there, probably 80% of the residents of Ballard were either from Sweden or Norway. I attended a church in Ballard in which I heard songs sung in Swedish and Norwegian, and there were lots of older people who spoke with thick Scandinavian accents, and, and, and everybody had names like Olsen and Bjorn and just a whole, Ballard High School, our high school yell ended, yeah, sure, you betcha. Um, Now, Ballard has become this chic place to live where houses are ridiculously expensive and it has lost its Scandinavian heritage. But it was truly an ethnic neighborhood. And and so we had a lot of expressions, ufta, Maybe some of you have heard that. It doesn't translate into English. Ufta. It's, a, it's just its like a heavy sigh that is verbalized, that expresses frustration and exasperation and just kind of an I give up. I don't know if if this is unique to Ballard because in various parts of the country I have heard variations. But when we were playing tag... Um, on, On the alley that ran between the two streets and all the kids would meet out in the alley and we'd play games and sometimes we'd play this sort of bizarre baseball game. Sometimes we played tag and sometimes we played hide and seek. And let's say we're playing hide and seek and somebody's hiding in a trash can and somebody else in the corner behind the fence. But it's lunchtime or the person who is it just gives up. And what do they shout to let everybody know that they don't that they can come out of hiding without being tagged? At least in our neighborhood in Ballard, we shouted Ollie Oli free." Now, like I've said, I've I've mentioned that in, in various churches and gotten various regional differences, and I don't know if it has if Ollie Olioxen free has any connection to our Scandinavian heritage, but but there it was. And unfortunately, too many people have that view of God's forgiveness of our sins. God just, because he loves us, because he's good and gracious and loves us, he says, in effect, Ollie Ollie oxen free, you can come to heaven without any fear of penalty of getting tagged because... I'm a good God, and I'm gracious, and I love you, and therefore, come on in. And that is not true. And the Bible makes it clear that is not true. And this is where we bring in this transactional analysis and forensics. There is, in fact, a very real guilt. We are all guilty. Uh, The Bible makes that very clear. We have all sinned, Romans says, and fallen short of God's glory. And the Bible says that the penalty for that sin is death. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And they did. They were instantly separated from God. And they knew that. And that's why they hid in the garden, because they knew they were now under God's judgment. And God didn't just say, oh, listen, I love you, all olly oxen free, or whatever it, they, that they said in that neighborhood. There had to be a payment the the uh, the word for forgiveness the greek word for forgiveness is aphiemi that's the verb form and it means to send away it means that something whether it's a debt or whatever it is is sent away and that in this case then our sins are sent away that that greek word aphiemi is translated in the new testament is translated forgiveness, our guilt is sent away. But it can only be sent away because the price was paid. That's the only way that God can, can send away our guilt. See, here's the forensic part. Is by making sure that the penalty has been paid. And it is Jesus Christ that paid that penalty. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, the sending away of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the sending away of sins. Hebrews 9.22 Listen to this. This is golden. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You see that's that forensic that's that transactional part. We have guilt and the and the Bible makes clear, God made makes clear that the penalty for sin is death. Therefore, without the shedding of blood, that debt is not paid. And it is it is right and just that I should pay the debt for my own sins. Hey, uh, I don't know when you're listening to this, but As I'm recording it, we are not that far uh, removed from the Student Loan Forgiveness Act that currently President Biden signed into effect with an executive order, if I recall correctly. Um, God can't just forgive our sins like Ollie Ollie Oxenfree and issue an executive order and forgive our debt. That debt has to be paid without the shedding of blood, without death, there is no sending away, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why, at the Last Supper, in Matthew 26, 28, Christ said, referring to the cup of wine, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. It is his blood. You see, what he did is he paid my debt. He paid your debt. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Christ said, this is the, my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This was pictured in the Old Testament sacrificial system. That's why the lamb or the goat was offered. If you read in Leviticus chapter 1, over and over and over, it's a wonderful chapter. You should go back. It goes into chapter 2, if I remember correctly. You should go back and underline what happens. Uh, We get get this statement at the very beginning that says, if someone sins, and that can be uh, unintentional or intentional, it can be someone from the nation Israel, it can be uh, a priest, whoever it is that sins, they shall bring a lamb to the altar and they should lay their hands on the head of that lamb. And that's the phrase that in my Bible I understand. With my four color pen, I underlined it, I'm sorry, I underlined it in red. They lay their hands on the head of the animal. And you know what the next line is? And then the animal is slaughtered. And I love the use. I don't love it, but I am impressed with the use of that word slaughtered. What was the point of the sinner laying his hands on the head of the lamb? That is transmission. That is a a physical uh, demonstration of my sins are taken from me and placed on this lamb which is innocent of sins, and then that lamb is slaughtered. They pay the penalty for my sins, which are commuted to them, and then they are slaughtered for my sins. The problem is, as, as Hebrews tells us, the blood of bulls and goats and animal sacrifice cannot take away the sins of the world. It can't pay the penalty. Only another human can pay the penalty, and that's why Christ came as a human, as the God-man, as God incarnate, and lived without sin. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. And then he went to the cross, and he paid the penalty for my sins. Now, those sins are taken away. They're removed from my account. If someone had, if, if I, I didn't, but let's say I had had student debt, and someone had paid that debt for me, then I would be cleared of that debt. It would be sent away. It would be removed from my account. That is exactly what Christ did. And again, that's why we use the word forensics and forgiveness when describing our salvation. Second Peter 2.24. Uh, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins might live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. And so we are forgiven not because God is gracious and just says, okay, listen, it's all good. We'll forget about it. We are forgiven. Our guilt is sent away because the penalty was paid and it was paid by Christ. I don't know how they could have built all of that into the word forgiveness. We don't have a word in English like a fiemi. We don't have a word that describes the satisfaction of a payment. The closest we can come in English is propitiation. And that is a word that almost nobody understands anymore. It's only used two or three times in the new Testament. The word propitiation, the Greek word that is translated propitiation. One of them is in first John two, two, he is our propitiation. That is to say, he is the one who satisfies the debt, the wrath of God that is supposed to be poured out on the sinner. And Christ stepped in, paid the penalty for our sin, and assuaged, propitiated God, uh, and turned aside his wrath now that the debt is paid and we are forgiven. So that's what we mean when we talk about forgiveness and salvation. We've been talking about the Greek word forgive. The word forgiveness occurs in the Old Testament too, but, but um, its fullest expression regarding salvation is found in the New Testament, and that's why I focused on that. The verb to forgive occurs 133 plus or minus, depending on, 133 times in the New Testament. So you can see it's a pretty important part of our uh, concept of salvation, what the Bible teaches us. That said... Psalm 103 is wonderful in this regard, and once we've seen what it means in the New Testament, that is to say that there's a transaction that took place whereby Christ paid the penalty for our sins, we go back and read Psalm 103 with maybe a little different perspective. Maybe you'll recognize these verses. Verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, and and heals all your diseases. And so again, then, when we read, he forgives all our iniquity, it doesn't mean that he just said, all the oxen free. Uh, Down to verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Do you know why he doesn't deal with us according to our sins? Because he dealt with his son according to our sins. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. There's the concept of a aphiemi. This is written in Hebrew, so you don't get that, that uh Greek word here, but in terms of sending them away, which is what the word Ephemi literally means. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. And so that God deals with us with compassion and with grace. And forgives us, sends away our guilt, forensics, sends away our guilt, happens because he sent his son to pay the penalty that accrued to us, and his son was our substitute. And it is on that basis that he can forgive us, that he can send our guilt away. It is with this understanding, then, of God's forgiveness in Christ that we can go to a passage like Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see that? We are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. Now, now I th- I hope we read that phrase as God in Christ forgave us as the substitutionary atonement, as Christ paying for our guilt, then it is, the Bible says, incumbent upon us to forgive those who sin against us. And so in our uh, part B, we're going to take a look at the human side of forgiveness and how and when we forgive others.